0: Welcome to the Green Urbanist, a podcast for Urbanists Fighting Climate Change. I'm Ross. Hello everyone, welcome to this four-part series on the role of landscape and urban nature in creating resilient, sustainable and healthy places. Over the next four weeks, I'll be releasing short weekly episodes featuring interviews with landscape practitioners that highlight great case studies in landscape design and discuss the wider role of these interventions in green urbanism. The interviews were recorded at the Landscape Institute Awards 2023. Thank you so much to the Landscape Institute for inviting me along and organising these conversations. This first episode features a conversation with Landscape Institute President-elect Carolyn Gohler. The focus of this chat was on responding to the climate and biodiversity crises through landscape interventions and some of the work the Landscape Institute is doing to push this forward. After the interview, I share some more information specifically about nature based climate adaptation in cities, so stick around for that. Hope you enjoy. Hello,
1: everyone. I'm Caroline Gola, uh, President elect of the Landscape Institute.
0: Fantastic. Thanks so much for being with me here for this for this interview. I'm really interested in how the landscape profession can sort of respond to the climate and biodiversity crises, and the important role that landscape has, particularly in, in cities, in responding to that. Do you have any thoughts, sort of generally, on that?
1: Yeah, I mean there's obviously a lot uh, the Landscape Institute and its professionals can do and uh, we work on a different array. I think maybe first of all we should say that landscape architects are involved in any green space uh, you may have, whether it's a balcony box or a countryside or whether it's a wind uh, turbine farm or um, you know urban um, regeneration projects. Um, So we're really involved in every sort of green bit um, in everyone's life and I think it's really important uh, for us as a profession to step up um, to the challenge of uh, climate change and bi- the biodiversity emergency um, and we do that in a lots of different ways. I mean obviously we plant trees or such but mm-hmm. as many people sponsor trees nowadays uh, we also manage the whole landscapes um, because giving just money to plant a tree is not enough. You also need to manage the landscape after and look after the trees. Especially when they're young you have to water them in some form and we don't have much water at times so you need to mulch them and look after them and a very good um, sort of way. So from a sustainability point of view is so obviously we try to green as much as we can, um, avoid hard surfaces or even if we have hard surfaces um, we work and um, to introduce uh, what we call sustainable drainage systems where we actually uh, capture the rain, water prevent it uh, going initially into the water um, waterways and flooding rivers and streams and such. Uh, we're trying to hold it on the land and then let it slowly sort of trickle out and that really really retains moisture Uh, we can do water harvesting and all these sort of different things um, to really retain uh, the green cover we want for people to enjoy because it's it's climate change and um, sustainability in that sense is really also for the health and well-being um, of people predominantly obviously but we also need to look after our nature and uh landscape professionals really understand the sort of interrelationship uh, between um, perhaps nature, people and what we say place in a sense and from, from our point of view um, it's really um, that we train and educate um, our professionals well uh, we also uh, update and uh, provide guidance which are for other professionals but also for the public in general to understand what difference um, they can sort of make um, in the sort of spaces and where they live um, but uh, probably some of the function we do, um, we also influence government in some ways, where we write uh, good guidelines, uh, which you know they can also then look at and incorporate at any sort of regulation and other work um, government does. And we're trying to sort of influence um, even politicians to some extent uh, to to look at the environment and to cherish it. Um, so there's a lot of array we can do to do the climate um, change um, response and from a uh, Institute's point of view is that we also um, ourselves want to be a sort of carbon zero um, initially by 2029 uh, when we celebrate our centenary um, but obviously um, that is not when the story ends um, because obviously what we will need to be in future is also to be what we call carbon positive so actually making uh, an enhanced and positive contribution to our environment and uh, hopefully help uh, to abate um, the adverse effects of climate change Change.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's really clear to me like what a key role landscape design has in mm-hmm. nature-based solutions and climate adaptation, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. What are the sort of biggest challenges you think the profession is facing at the moment in terms of making making this stuff happen at scale?
1: Uh, it's interesting. I've had the question just been asked by someone else. Mm-hmm. And I think it's sort various uh basis I think you could say. I think we need to train more landscape professionals uh, and more um, younger people or career changers uh, to take up um, jobs in the environmental uh, professions. Um, that's you know whether you're a horticulturist or whether you're a water engineer or such, uh, we need more people to take really interest and I think we need to inspire uh, the younger and uh, people more uh, what we do and also shout about more what we do. And I think it's really really important. We need to to make sure that government understands that this education is absolutely crucial for the well-being of all of us um, and support our universities and colleges, um, you know, giving education to students and apprentices. Um, I think... uh, that is sort of the the core sort of thing and um, I think we need to sort of more promote what we do in in many ways and that's what we're trying to do. So you're talking to us today when we're celebrating our 30th anniversary of the Landscape Awards. It's really akin to the sterling prize from the architects Mm -hmm. and uh, they're absolutely fantastic schemes and the imagination and uh, problem solving you see in these schemes is absolutely staggering and really wonderful to see and it's very inspiring and um, I think we need to just you know shout about and talk more to people I think, um, but uh, there are lots of issues the profession has to face um, and um, yeah, <laughs> we need just really good two team people to come along and what we're actually also doing we're working much more as a family so not just landscape architects or landscape managers or landscape scientists as use, this used to be many decades ago we've really broadened out and we're bringing in an urbanists and we're bringing also some of our suppliers or um, you know academic specialists or everyone else who really has a passion and great professionalism in landscape and because we feel with our partners and affiliated uh, organizations we all can make a difference uh, together and actually share expertise um, in lots of different ways uh, whether it's people management to actually managing projects Um, but we also know that um, as the Landscape Institute based in the UK we have also international outreach. Um, I recently was at the um, international federation of landscape architects in europe um, and it was really lovely to see them and they all use our information to really update and advise also their governments and for us it's really important and there's a similar federation which is worldwide um, so it's for us really important to share that knowledge and uh, to be there where we can as a very small organization um, we're doing a lot
0: great um maybe as a final question how do you see the profession changing over the coming decades, if at all, or maybe just getting stronger?
1: Um, I think it's, I mean, it's changing all the time, and I think that's our success of the profession. Um, it's adaptation to new things, new problems, new issues, um, and always looking out for uh, how better and cleverer we maybe can uh, achieve things, and bringing everyone involved in landscape and landscape management along. Um, I think you know we have seen in the you know with the advance of the computer we have computer aided design and uh, it wasn't just uh, 3D uh, sorry 2D uh, dimensional drawings it is now 3D uh, you can do very easily um, sort of project your ideas in in absolutely incredible way and, and you know film format and the technology gets better and better um, but I think you know everybody's talking about AI and I think yes artificial intelligence is already out there uh, I know architects for example they use it to right specifications for projects Um, and hopefully we can use AI for making certain maybe uh, dreary parts of the job more um, successful and more easy and quickly done but I think um, training our people and also having the verbal communication and being together as a community is very important which I don't think technology can take away Mm -hmm. and um, but we need to be careful where we use it um, and uh, what we do but um, you know there's ongoingly new things coming in um, you know we probably use more solar panels to light uh, up spaces in the evenings or um, you know there will be lots of different ways where I think technology will help uh, and make it hopefully cheaper for people to enjoy uh, green spaces really um, and hopefully also benefiting nature in different ways Yeah.
0: So there you go, there's my, my conversation with Carolyn Guller. I think she did a really good job of setting the scene for this series and the, the you know incredible range of ways that landscape and landscape design and landscape practitioners are really important for our response to climate change in urban areas. As uh, many of you will know, something that I'm very passionate about is climate adaptation, uh, and I think that's a really important part of this larger conversation around landscape um, within cities. Uh, and so for the next couple of minutes, I'd like to read out to you a an article from my newsletter um, that was published back in March of 2023. Many of you may not uh, have seen it, so I thought this is a perfect place to share that as a, as an audio recording. So the title of this is Climate Adaptation with Urban Nature. It's published on the Green Urbanist Weekly newsletter. Uh, and if you'd like to get onto that and receive um, a short, succinct uh, article about uh, anything, everything related to green urbanism, um, every Wednesday, get it weekly. Um, just follow the link in the episode description and sign up to that. It would be great to have you um, have you on board. Uh, and it's also, you know, you can leave comments uh, under the articles and interact in that way. So it's a really nice way of sort of having a bit more of a, a two-way conversation <laughs> rather than just listening to me. Okay, here we go with the article. As we find ourselves at 1.2 degrees Celsius of global average warming and rising, the effects of climate change are becoming obvious. Local weather is becoming more extreme and unpredictable. In 2022, heat waves and record-breaking temperatures scorched Europe, while one-third of Pakistan was buried under floods. Over decades, the focus of climate action has been on mitigating climate change by reducing greenhouse gas emissions. However, as greenhouse gas emissions continue to rise globally, we are now forced to adapt to a new climate reality. Climate adaptation involves changes to behaviour or infrastructure in response to climate change. You might think of flood defences and storm shelters, but adaptation can be much more biophilic. Enhancing urban nature is a proven effective method of minimising heatwaves and floods. Ecosystem-based adaptation is a way of working with nature to reduce the impact of severe weather while providing many other benefits to local people. Cities by their design are especially vulnerable to extreme weather concrete, steel and glass, absorb heat and release them slowly at night. In winter, this can actually be beneficial as it keeps temperatures at a more comfortable level and reduces heating bills and associated emissions. In the summer, however, this urban heat island effect can often raise temperatures in cities by 10 degrees Celsius higher than the surrounding countryside. This can turn a hot day into a dangerous situation for vulnerable people. And sadly, many elderly and sick people do die during heat waves every summer around the world, especially in cities where escape from the heat can be almost impossible. Cities are also particularly vulnerable to flooding. In natural areas, when rivers overflow or the rain rainwater pours, water slowly sinks into the soil. However, cities are covered in impermeable surfaces like concrete and asphalt, which results in flooding when drainage infrastructure gets overwhelmed. This is happening more and more as climate change intensifies with a resulting loss of life and property. There's a clear solution to these problems, replacing urban human-made materials with soil and vegetation. Urban trees reduce temperatures by creating shade and adding moisture to the air in a process called evapotranspiration. A study of Baltimore City, just to use one example, which is a city in Maryland, USA, found that the city's tree cover saves the lives of over 500 people annually by reducing heat stress. Restoring nature outside of cities can also help, In Southeast Asia, restoring coastal mangrove forest has been found to protect communities from storms and coastal erosion. And just think about all the other benefits that these ecosystems bring in terms of biophilia, biodiversity, food and recreation. Life-climate interactions. A a warming climate is a double-edged sword for trees and plants in general. A study published in 2017 found that urban trees have grown 14-25% to 25% more quickly since 1960, possibly due to an increase in temperatures and carbon dioxide in the air. This is an example of a negative feedback loop, nature's way of keeping balance. As carbon dioxide levels increase, photosynthesizing plants simply absorb more and grow quicker to pull it out of the atmosphere. However, since we're emitting carbon dioxide at a much faster than normal rate and deforesting the planet simultaneously, this effect won't be enough to mitigate dangerous climate change. In fact, we may be heading towards tipping points that cause mass declines in tree species as their habitable range shifts further towards the poles. If that happens, then cities could lose many shade-giving, flood-reducing trees just as we need them most. This is leading some scientists to call for the planting of tree species from warmer climates that are tree that are heat and drought resistant, advice that flies in the face of ecologists' mantra for prioritising native species for biodiversity benefits. It's clear that there will be no easy answers as we enter a new climate era. Three levels of adaptation. The geographer Mark Pelling describes three kinds of climate adaptation. Resilience, transition and transformation. This framing can help us make sense of our adaptation options. Resilience is the first level and can be defined as bouncing back to normal after experiencing shocks and stresses. For cities, resilience is about maintaining stability through a changing climate so life can go on as normal. Investing in ecosystem-based adaptation like urban tree planting can certainly contribute to this. However, we must ask ourselves the question if business as usual got us into this mess, why do we want to keep going as normal? This is where level two of adaptation comes in. Transition. Transition is about incremental change that guides us from our current state to something better or something preferable. For urban nature, that might mean an increase. <clears throat> For urban nature, that might mean an increase in urban agriculture and allotments, or local residents taking the initiative to green their neighborhoods. An example of this is the greening permit in Paris. To deliver on their ambitious urban greening targets, the city of Paris offers a special permit to residents that gives them permission to take stewardship of a local green space to grow food, plant trees, and otherwise improve its ecological richness. This successful idea could easily be replicated by cities worldwide as a way to transition towards a greener city while offering urbanites some much-needed nature connection as the climate crisis intensifies, there are now growing calls for society to skip to the third level of adaptation, which is transformation. Transformation involves radical changes to our lifestyles, systems and values to create a truly sustainable way of life. Proponents of transformation or transformative adaptation, as it's sometimes called, argue that resilience will only lock us into unsustainable status quo and transition is too slow to avert the worst of climate change. Once we start thinking transformatively, we realise that there are many more options open to us than we usually think. Transformation invites us to ask fundamental questions like, why do we need lawns? Couldn't we turn parks into biodiverse forests? What if we banned cars and rewilded streets? What if every neighbourhood had a local food-growing cooperative that everyone contributed to and benefited from? What would happen if we designated our city as a national park? Could we capture rainwater locally and use it during periods of drought? These what-if questions may sound fantastical, but real examples exist for all of them, sometimes at small scales, which means they are possible. It's just a matter of opening our minds, thinking bigger, and embracing the transformations that we know are necessary. That's it for the article. If you uh, enjoyed that and would like to get some more of that straight into your inbox uh, with the addition of some photographs and images to support the text, then do consider signing up to Green Urbanist Weekly free newsletter. Uh, The link is in the episode description. It would be great to have you. Keep an eye out for uh, next week's episode and just make sure you're subscribed or following the podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss that. Okay, thanks very much.